No matter where you live on this globe, you're going to find stories and legends of downright strange and horrifying encounters with cryptid creatures. Some are merely cautionary tales, while others may be based in reality. Welcome back to the swamp, my friends, and welcome if you're new. Today I'm going to be sharing some downright strange and horrifying experiences with cryptid creatures. Unknown monsters roam this world, and I think we've learned that by now by the hundreds and hundreds of stories that have been sent into this channel. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit that encounter at swampdweller.net or the reddit r slash thedarkswamp. I'd love to see your story and share it with everyone here in the swamp. Now, be sure to slap that like button, subscribe if you're new as it helps the channel grow, and get ready for these creepy and downright strange cryptid encounter horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. I'm a park ranger, and something is stalking the local hikers. By Horror Writer 1717. I'm a park ranger, but I'm intentionally leaving my name and the park's name out of this post. The names of all those involved have been changed as well. I needed to get this story out there, but could not rely on conventional avenues. That's why I'm posting it here. I could lose my job or much worse. But this story has to be told. I owe it to Catherine. I arrived at the ranger station like any other day. I was given my section of the park to patrol. Unfortunately, the park is massive, and my section usually includes half of it, so there isn't much chance for strolls on the trails. I hopped in my work vehicle, a 10-year-old 4x4, and headed down to see if anyone needed assistance. It didn't take long to find someone. At the first campground, a man couldn't get his camper started. A quick jump got him rolling along. Next was a couple needing directions, then an overturned canoe. I had only made it a few miles through the park at this point. I would have to move if I hoped to make an entire route today. I grabbed a few quick bites of lunch and put some miles on without anyone needing help when the call came over the radio. A hiker had found something, and I needed to go check it out. A half hour later, I talked to a middle-aged woman who had made a concerning discovery. She found a hat and a note on the trail. I read the letter. I'm writing this note and leaving it behind because I'm not sure what's happening. The five of us friends have been planning this trip forever, even since long before our graduation. But it's always seemed like something came up the last minute and one or more of us could not go. I was almost convinced that someone outside... I was almost convinced that some outside force had been working against us for a while. We were cursed to not go camping together until we were too old to enjoy it. I could picture Devin now. He would still go even if he was too old to walk and suffer on the trail. He's always up for camping. I think the guy carries a loaded backpack in his car with himself everywhere he goes. Adrian got here right behind us, followed soon by Dean. Of course, Terry was last to show. We started up the trail in great spirits. Three miles in, the sun was just starting to heat up. We were making good times toward the rustic campground when Devin decided to take a detour. He said he had heard about an old trail that no one used anymore and wanted to check it out. I said we should keep going the way we were, but I was outvoted. I honestly don't think Terry's vote should have counted since he was stoned, and Devin just bullied him into saying yes. We came to a spot with a large stone off the trail side. Devin said it was the trailhead, but I didn't see any path. He led us through some heavy brush, but on the other side it cleared out. We could see the faint impression of an overgrown trail. 
I went last and left my hat on the stone just in case we got lost and if we need to be rescued. I think that's precisely where we're headed, straight toward being lost. I'll leave this note under my hat and hope that someone finds us. I asked the woman to show me where she had found it, and she showed me. Three miles later, I was staring at the rock I had hoped I would never see again. I radioed my location to the station and told them if they didn't hear from me in a couple of hours to send a search party to the old abandoned trail. I wish I had brought my supplies with me. My backpack and sidearm were three miles away, and I didn't know how long these kids had been on this trail. I knew that any wasted time could mean the difference between life and death not only for myself but for those kids. At least I had my knife, my flashlight, and binoculars. So I thanked the woman, placed the red hat back on the stone just in case, and headed into the heavy bush. Once through the initial overgrowth, the trail became more visible. Old memories flashed through my head, ones I never wanted to think about again. I took a deep breath and headed down the path. It was overgrown for the first mile and opened into a field. I could see people had walked before me because the weeds were partially trampled. As I walked through, a deer jumped ahead of me, startling me. Until that moment, I didn't realize how jumpy I was. I tried to settle down and tell myself that these kids were just lost and I could catch up to them and get them out. I was telling myself that, but that didn't make the memories go away. I entered a clearing with a fallen log and another note with a rock was sitting on it. Think I'm being silly. This trail isn't so bad. Maybe I was wrong. Devin seems to know where he's going. Just can't shake this feeling that we're being watched, you know? Sometimes I'll look around and I swear I see a face disappear behind a tree. Am I being paranoid? Maybe if the birds started singing again, that would lighten my mood. But I haven't heard any of the birds or any other animal for a while. I wonder why they're being so quiet. Are they afraid of us? On another note, Terry seems to be brooding more than usual. Maybe he forgot to bring enough of his stash to lash the trip. Devin, in his glory. Devin, in his glory, since everyone has to rely on him for directions. Adrienne and Dean seem to be along for the ride. However, I have noticed Dean looking around at the trees as well. Maybe I'll ask if he sees anything. If you're trying to track us down, I hope you aren't being too bothered. I just have this feeling things are going to go wrong. I folded the note and stuck it in my pocket then prayed she was wrong about being followed. I pushed on, beginning to miss my backpack with the supplies, especially the water bottles. The trees provided shade, so the sunlight wasn't shining directly on me, but hiking is always thirsty work. The birds chirping in the trees made me almost forget about the desperate mission I was on to save these five kids. My mind wandered back to the kid I couldn't help. It had been shortly after I started as a park ranger. An 11-year-old boy had gotten lost on this very trail. His parents searched for him before calling us to look. I remembered hoping to be the one to find him as we formed search parties and searched on, in, and around every inch of the trail. In the end, I got my wish. I found him, but I wish I hadn't. I pushed the memory to the back of my mind and focused on the trail. It was starting to fade. The trampling of feet wasn't making enough of a difference, and I was beginning to lose my way. Out here, that can be deadly. I kept moving forward and finally regained the trail just in time to reach the fork. I looked back and forth from one choice to the other and couldn't really see a difference between the two. I searched for any broken twigs or plants that would give me a hint, but there didn't seem to be any. Just when I was about to give up and flip a coin, I saw a piece of paper in the weeds, barely visible. I dug it out and read it. 
It seems like we have a dilemma, a fork in the road as it were. You would think I would be happy to see the doubt in Devin's eyes as he looked from one choice to the other, but you'd be wrong. It made my confidence plummet. It made me think that we were never going to get out of here. Everyone's running out of water. Devin yelled at us for not conserving, but I saw him drink the last of his. He ranted and raved at us for a while, but we all knew he was just mad because he didn't know what to do. In the end, he flipped a coin. We all did our best not to laugh. Adrienne is reaching the end of her rope with Devin and his attitude. Dean has been playing peacemaker trying to keep them off from going at it too much. Terry has been way too quiet. I haven't seen him light up once. Something's up with him. But he says it's nothing every time I ask. The birds still aren't singing, and it's bothering me to the core. This strange feeling I have hasn't gone away. I asked Dean if he had seen anything weird, but he won't talk about it. We've been on this trail for some time. I'm hoping to come to an end soon. In case the note got moved or blown around, we took the left trail. I was panicked by the end of reading that note, and was so relieved when she mentioned which path to take. I radioed in and reported that I was on the course of the missing hikers. I told them I was at the fork and that I took the left side. I was told that there was no search party going on yet, that I was the only one looking for these kids. It was the complete opposite of years ago looking for that kid. Everyone was searching. I know we combed every inch of that wilderness, but that's the thing about the woods. You can search every nook and cranny visible, but something can still stay hidden. The sun was going down and I still had no idea how close I was to catching up to these kids. I could stumble across them in the next clearing, or they could be hours ahead of me. I met the woman who showed me the hat and note in the afternoon. If they started around daybreak, they could be five or six hours ahead of me. If the leader is driven to continue, it's hard to say how far they might be. I continued following the trail until I saw a fallen tree across a river. I looked both ways along the river's edge but didn't see a path, so I crossed the tree. I could picture the debate the kids had when they got there. I chuckled at the thought of Devin having to convince them to go across. I believe I made up a lot of time with that single crossing. I jumped into the water, drank my fill, and climbed back up feeling much, much better. It was tough to pick up on the trail on the other side. I was glad to find a note sticking to a branch. Oh my gosh, Devin just about came unglued when we got to the tree over the river. He hopped up right away and started to cross, but the rest of us weren't so sure that the trail led that way. We asked him how he would obviously know this, but he said he planned this fallen tree as a part of it. He sputtered, stomped, and told us that we would be lost without him. Dean had finally had enough and told him we were lost because of him. I thought Devin would swing at him until Terry came to his side and told Devin to shut up. The rest of us all came together and told Devin he could keep leading us as long as he stopped acting like a freaking petty tyrant. He didn't take that too well though. In the end, he told us we could all go to hell. He sat on the log and refused to move. Eventually, we took a break, refilled our water bottles on the river, and Dean said we should keep going and let us across the tree. Devin followed along, acting like a whipped puppy. Dean and I talked about the disappearing face we had seen a while back, but neither of us had seen it again. At the very least, at least the birds were back singing. I chuckled, figuring that Devin would be a big baby over the whole thing, but after the chuckle came concern. Deposed leaders are usually dangerous. I wondered how much offense Devin had taken and how long it would take before he started getting some sort of payback in some small or large way. Darkness was coming on fast in the woods. I had to make a decision, camp for the night or keep going. 
If I camped, I could defend against the predators that lurked in the darkness. But if I kept moving, there was a good chance I could stumble across the group before daybreak. It wasn't much of a decision. These kids that I don't even know, that I had plunged headfirst into the woods without even my backpack of supplies, of course, I was going to try and catch up with them. If I had done that years back, would that kid still be alive? Such thoughts nagged at me. Most days I kept them at bay, but here in this same forest, close to where I found him, I needed to focus. If I'm going to get after them and I'm going to keep up, I need to get going. I stepped off the trail to take a pee and heard a metallic snap simultaneously, and I felt intense pain shoot at my leg. I looked down and I had stepped into a, a bear trap. I screamed, I fell to the ground and rocked back and forth in agony. After a few minutes, I refocused on getting the trap off of my leg. I found a branch and pried the weapon open, screaming the entire time. I pulled the surprise off my leg and threw it to the side. I didn't want to take my boot off, but I had to see the damage. It took every ounce of effort I could to muster enough to unlace that boot and pull it off. My leg was purple. I felt along the wound very gently, but there didn't seem to be any break. That didn't mean I wouldn't be limping for the next month though, but it did mean I would buy this brand of boots for the rest of my life. Putting the boot back on took much, much more effort and screaming, but I knew I needed to keep going. I laced up the boot and found a sturdy branch to use as a crutch. I struggled to my feet and took my first few ginger steps. Once I got into the rhythm, it got more straightforward, but I couldn't walk as fast as I had been. Of course, when I was weakest, I heard footsteps in the trees close to me. I knew it had to be a predator, because it could probably sense how I was vulnerable and probably heard my screams of agony earlier. I leaned against a tree and held my crutch ready as a weapon. The footsteps came closer. They paused as if they knew I was ready, then slowly continued stalking me. They were deliberate but slow, each step seemed measured as if it were waiting for the right moment to strike. I heard it right next to the tree, I was hiding behind. I whipped around as best as I could and raised the crutch to strike. A deer was staring at me for a heartbeat and then turned and ran through the forest. I collapsed against the tree and slid down to the ground, allowing the adrenaline to bleed off. I don't remember falling asleep. I woke to sandpaper scratching the side of my face. I opened and a bear was beside me, licking my cheek. I freaked out, screamed, and rolled away from it. The bear wasn't ready for that reaction. It startled and ran away. I slowly but rapidly contained my breathing and looked around. It was dark. Thin shafts of moonlight beaming through the trees provided a little bit of light. I checked my watch and it was nearly four in the morning. I rose slowly and gingerly on my injured ankle, took the small flashlight out of my pocket, and prayed it still worked. My prayers were answered when the beam shone brightly through the wood. I panned around trying to get my bearings. After a moment I found the trail and started hobbling toward it. The nightly noises were a comfort. At least if the crickets were chirping and the rest of the forest was singing its nightly tune, predators likely weren't around. I stumbled and fell, hitting my injured ankle against a rock. The pain overwhelmed me and I screamed. After a few minutes of recovery, I got up and continued at a slower pace, paying more attention to the ground. I chided myself for falling asleep and losing so much time. At least the trail was easy to follow. I continued through the night, hoping I wasn't too late. I started thinking about the boy I had failed to rescue and what would happen if I failed to save these kids too. I'm sure the rangers department would say I did my best. I wasn't worried about them, it was me who I cared about. Would I be able to forgive myself for letting something happen again? My thoughts were interrupted when I stumbled into a clearing. Not just any clearing, there were remnants of a fire. 
There were impressions from tent pegs being pulled out of the ground. All around were the signs of a recent campsite, including a tent still set up entirely. I got so excited I nearly fell over my crutch. Looking around for signs of anything, the tent was a mixed blessing. It was very ominous that it was still here while the others were gone, but I could find some supplies to take along for my search. The most important was food. I shoved some protein bars in my pocket while devouring some beef jerky. I also grabbed two water bottles from the pack. I stumbled across a note sitting under a rock beside the smoldering fire. Before I sat, I held my hand out to the fire. It was still warm, but the embers were nearly dead. It had been hours since this fire was first lit. I would have thought that I could catch up with them if I hadn't taken such an unintentional nap. There was nothing I could do but sit by the dying fire and read the note, hoping there was good news. We found this clearing and decided to camp. Everyone was tired from walking and the mood was somber because no one seemed to know where we were. We had been hiking in the forest before, but none of us had ever seen or heard of this trail. We set up our tents, started a fire, and then ate and sat around. No one felt like talking, so I tried to get the ball rolling by asking Terry why he was late. He hesitated, but at my prompting eventually told us that he had hit an animal with his car on the way here. I asked if it was a deer and he said no, it was much too big to be a deer. He said it was walking upright on two legs and was massive, like eight feet tall massive, covered in brown hair. He swerved to miss it, but the strangest thing was is it seemed to try to jump out in front of him, like it wanted him to stop. We all listened with rapt intention. Just then, off in the distance, we heard a scream. We all froze. Devin started spouting off and yelling at Terry for trying to scare us, storming off. Dean tried to stop him, but he pushed him away and disappeared into the woods. The rest of us talked, trying to decide if we should look for him, but in the end, we figured we would just let him go and cool off. We heard a rustling off in the distance and a muffled cry a short while later. We huddled a little closer together and went on high alert. Our eyes darted back and forth as we searched the impenetrable wall of trees surrounding us, looking for any signs of a predator. Right then, the strangest thing happened. All the nightly noises stopped. The crickets, the squirrels, the owls, and every sound you usually hear in the forest at night ceased. It was unnerving. For a moment, I wondered if I hadn't gone deaf. Our eyes darted all around in the darkness. We all huddled closer to the fire. Dean pulled out his hunting knife. None of us said a word. It was like if we spoke, something terrible would happen. Somehow, whatever caused the noises to stop would find us if we spoke. Someone did say, though just not who we expected, Why are you here? Came a deep, raspy voice that seemed to echo from everywhere. We all looked around, and finally, a man, at least what I would like to call a man, stepped into the light. It was oversized, well over six feet tall, broad shoulders and probably older than any of us combined. It was also wearing a what looked like a park ranger's uniform. It looked old and shabby, like he had been wearing it for a long time. There were no name tags or park patches. At that point, we didn't care. We had been rescued. We clambered around him, saying how glad we were that they had found us. We told him about what was going on in the trail, and we weren't sure where, where we even were. The man listened, slowly saying, you shouldn't be here. We all looked at each other, freaked out. I'm sure the others thought the same as me. No shit we shouldn't be here. We just told you that. He looked at us from one to another, as if he were sizing us up. I was starting to get a little uncomfortable with this silence. I thought he would offer to guide us back, but he didn't. He kept staring. 
I think everyone else was getting a little edgy when Dean asked if he could point us in the right direction. He looked at Dean as if deciding to answer him or not. I can guide you, he said. But first, you have to have some rest. We all agreed that the day had been long and stressful. We decided to take his advice and turn it in. We offered him some food and water, but he refused, saying he wasn't hungry. We each went to our tents and laid down. Now, the one thing that just stayed on my mind was how weird his voice sounded. It sounded almost demonic, almost like something trying to pretend to be human. Before I settled in and finished this note, I popped my head back out of my tent to check on our guide. He was sitting by the fire, staring into the orange coals. I thought I heard him mumbling or maybe humming something softly. I quietly zipped up my tent and went to sleep. Sometime later, someone banged on my tent. I awoke and unzipped it to find the ranger with a strange look in his eyes. We need to go. Why? I said, rubbing the sleep out of my eyes. It's not safe here. He said with an edge of panic. I popped back into my tent to change, then came out and met with everyone. They were all in states of semi-consciousness as well. Everyone but the ranger seemed to be confused. Pack up. We need to leave. He said a little more forcefully. I was about to protest when I heard a piercing scream. His head shot up, and he stared in the direction of the sound. Move it. He said. Pack up. We didn't need to be told again. The scream brought us all fully awake. We tore down our tents repeatedly and packed up everything into our backpacks. As I finished up, I noted Devin's tent was still standing up. Where's Devin? I said. Who's Devin? The ranger said. He's another one of our friends, I said. He went off into the woods right before you got here. You didn't come back? The ranger asked. Should we go look for him? I said. The ranger extended his arms and did a slow circle. Which way would you go? He said. I understood his point. How would we know where he had gone? If he was still on the path or not, it just seemed like we should do something. What about his gear? I said. Do we take it with us? The ranger looked at me, almost like he was annoyed at answering so many questions. Leave it here, in case he comes back. He said. You'll need his supplies. I'm not sure if I'll keep leaving notes or not now that we have a ranger to guide us. Whoever finds this, please look for Devin and make sure he's okay. After reading this note, I was perplexed. A ranger? All the rangers at this park are in their 30s or 40s. Maybe it was someone who retired and was just roaming around out here? But why would they be out here in the middle of the night? And why would they be in some sort of ranger's outfit? Sitting here by the dying embers of the fire, with a tent set up in front of me, it was very tempting to take a rest. If they're in the hands of a capable ranger, I could get some rest before the long hike back out of here. But I knew I already had taken my rest for the night. If not for that, I would have been here hours ago, probably before the other ranger. I set out again, feeling tired but determined. The campsite made me more hopeful than I had been all day. At least they were together and thinking like campers. If only I knew who this ranger was. The sun was an hour away from rising, so I took out my flashlight to follow the trail. I zipped up the tent before I left, just in case the owner returned. I wouldn't want animals getting in and taking everything. It's bad enough when injured park rangers do it. The trail stayed level for a while as a dawn peeked over the tree slowly. The course started heading upward, which was terrible news for me and my bum ankle. It made things much harder, but I had my trusty makeshift crutch to help me. Dawn crept into the forest, giving me a little assistance. At least I wouldn't have to waste a hand on holding a flashlight. As the climb grew steeper, the trail grew more narrow. At times, it was only the width of a foot. As I scaled the narrow path, I held onto trees and whatever I could. 
At the most difficult, I paused and seriously considered turning back. As I looked around for any other way to keep going, I saw a brightly colored fabric at the bottom of the ravine. I carefully balanced as I took out my binoculars and looked. It was a backpack and attached to it was the body of a girl in her early 20s. She looked like she had hit her head on the rocks at the bottom. Her face was bloody and mauled. Her clothes were ripped and soaked in blood. There was no doubt that an animal had gotten to her. The only question was, was she alive when it started feeding on her? I looked away but I felt my determination doubling down to find these missing kids. They might be with the ranger but they were still in terrible danger. I slowly continued up the narrow trail. At this time I was sure the ground would give out from under me and I would share the same fate as that poor unfortunate girl at the bottom of the ravine. It was then I remembered my radio. I tried to call in and report the location of the body but the only response I got was static. I was determined to try again when I got to the top of the trail. It was yet another motivation to keep going, to be careful and to survive. It seemed like hours at a snail's pace, working my way up the side of the ravine. Finally, I clawed my way over the top of the edge. I rolled over onto the solid ground and lay there for a few minutes. Once I caught my breath, I got up slowly and painfully. I hadn't done my ankle any favors. I limped toward what looked like the trail and began following. It wasn't long before I came across the remnants of another campsite. Fire was a little warmer than the last one. I stoked it up, threw some more wood, and got it going. I knew I needed some rest. I searched around, found a note, then sat down on a log by the fire to read it. I can't believe Adrienne is gone. We started up the steep ravine, and the trail kept getting narrow. I asked the ranger if there was any other way around it, and he just glared at me and said no. We all struggled with our heavy packs on our back. At one point, I was on all fours just trying to keep from sliding into the ravine. That's when it happened. Adrienne was having trouble keeping her feet on the trail. She kept slipping. I reached out and helped her balance a few times. Being right in front of me, I kept an eye on her whenever possible. But to be truthful, I wasn't watching nearly as much as I wanted because I was watching my own feet. She slipped once, I tried to grab her, but she had tipped over. The weight of her pack dragged her over the side. I watched in horror as she tumbled down into the ravine, bouncing off trees as she went. I saw her skull make a tangible impact several times as she tumbled down to the bottom and slid to a stop. I wouldn't know if she was still breathing or not as I called her name. She didn't move. I reached for the ranger in front of us and pointed to her unmoving body. He stared at her for a long time. I don't know if he was trying to see if she was alive or not. He told us to keep going up the trail to the top and he would check on her. I watched as he carefully made his way down to the nearly sheer slope. We kept moving forward as instructed. He was only halfway down when we made it to the top. I was a wreck. I was so happy we made it, but sad for Adrienne. I didn't hold out much hope that the ranger would come trotting back into camp with her on his back, saying she only had a few bumps and bruises. We started the fire and sat around in a stupor. Finally, Terry came over and talked to me. Look, I understand she was your friend, but she was ours too, he said. We need to work together to get out of here, for them. That's so stupid. It makes no sense. I said with the remnants of a smile. It was then the ranger reappeared. He sat by the fire and didn't say a word. There was something in his eyes. It wasn't sadness, but I don't know exactly what it was. We knew she wasn't coming back. We rested for some time, then started on the trail again. If you're following us, I hope you're being careful. Stay safe. Wow, this girl is something else. She wants me to be safe with all she's gone through. I hope I find her. I think she'd make a great park ranger personally. My guilty conscience jumped up on my back and yelled at me. How can you sit around and rest when that girl just lost her friend and needs your help? 
I knew it was right. I just didn't know why the other ranger was so careless. I struggled to get up, kick out the fire, and started after them. The daylight was dimming, but it only was 8 in the morning. I looked up and saw why. Storm clouds were overtaking the sky. Yet another reason I wished I had brought my backpack along. The raindrops hit like cold slaps in the face. Even though it was still September, out here in the mountains the weather can change in a heartbeat. We weren't at the top of the hill, but in the middle was enough for the weather change to make me shiver. Now that we were out of the ravine, I tried my radio again, but it was still static. I knew there were some places where the radio inexplicably wouldn't work. I just hoped to escape the interference before it was far too late. The trail was clear in front of me, but that was little comfort when walking in open fields with no rain cover. All those trees I tromped through, and now in the rain, I have wide open spaces. I'd say someone doesn't like me. The rain didn't just pass like a spring shower. It poured so hard it became difficult to see even an inch in front of me. For a long time, I trudged through the rain. At times, it felt like I was walking in place. The mud was starting to cake on my boots, and then my salvation appeared. In front of me, on the trail, was a tent. I called out before I unzipped the tent and let myself in. I flopped to the beautiful dry floor, quickly turned and zipped the entrance back up. I breathed a sigh of relief, but a stench assaulted my nose as I did. I looked over at the sleeping bag. It was full. I'm sorry to barge in like this, but I need to get out of the rain, I said. No response. I nudged the person in the bag. It tipped over to the side and rocked right back. That's when I noticed the splotches of red that had soaked through the bag. I didn't want to see, but I pulled the top of the sleeping bag away from the person's face. The bad part was that they no longer had a face. It had been ripped away, and the neck had been gouged out. There were large wounds on the body as well. I tried to feel for a pulse, but my fingers went straight into the neck muscles. I figured there was no pulse to feel. I wiped my fingers on the sleeping bag and pondered why this person was covered. I know the animal who did this didn't gently cover up the person with the sleeping bag when it was done. I found my answer lying above the head on the person. It was a note. I can't believe Terry's dead. I wish I'd never come on this trip. I wish I'd never let Devin bully us into turning down this damn trail. Where the hell is Devin anyway? When he stormed off on his little pity party, did he run across whatever creature has been stalking us? Is he sitting back in his tent now, enjoying himself? I don't know. We enjoyed not climbing up the face of a ravine, but we were exhausted. I mentioned stopping and camping for a little bit to the ranger. He looked at us and even sniffed the air. That seemed like a weird thing to do. But after that, he agreed to let us set up camp. He even told us to do it quickly as we could. We gathered wood for a fire and then he told us not to bother because the rain was coming. I guess that explains the air sniffing thing. Our tents had been up for maybe 15 minutes since it started raining. It quickly turned into a downpour. We all offered the ranger to sit in our tents with us. He looked over us one by one. It was pretty creepy. Finally, he said he would sit with Terry in his tent. Dean and I looked at each other with relieved expressions. The ranger is helping us after all, but he isn't someone I'd like to ever see again. He just acts too weird. At times, I wonder if he's even helping at all. I just closed my eyes, listening to the rain on the tent and letting it carry me off to dreamland. When the ranger ripped open my tent, he said we needed to pack up right now that something was hunting us. We dove out into the rain, miserably packed our tents. He reassured us that we were... He reassured us that there was a cave nearby that we could get to for shelter. As I was packing up, I didn't see Terry, so I went to his tent and knocked. When there was no answer, I went in and found what was left of his body. Something had torn him to shreds. 
I covered my mouth to avoid vomiting and ran the hell to the others. Dean and the ranger looked in and saw what was left of him. The ranger said he had left the tent to go to the bathroom, and when he came back he saw a predator hanging around the tents. That's when he came to wake us. It must have already gotten to Terry. I pulled his sleeping bag over his head and wished we had given him a proper burial. But the ranger said the animal might be on the back, but the ranger said the animal might be back for the rest of us, so we quickly packed up and left. I barely had time to finish this note. Please help us. A cave? What kind of ranger is he? Doesn't he realize that this is most likely where some sort of large predator would call home? I thought for a moment about what cave they could be talking about. I haven't been on this trail for some five years, ever since I found the kid here. Then it hit me. We were very close to a place where we found the kid. Why would he take him there unless... I jumped up so quickly that I nearly fell on top of the body when I forgot that if I put too much weight on my injured ankle, I'm going to collapse. I hobbled out of the tent and went as quickly as possible toward the place I swore I'd never see again. I approached the cave and my heart sank. Two backpacks sat just inside the entrance. I pulled out my knife and flashlight then cautiously peeked inside. I felt a change in the breeze and turned to find the ranger staring at me. I looked him up and down. You, I said. The last time I saw you was when we found the boy. He said nothing. It was never a random animal attack, I said. It was you. Boy, boys, to watch you years ago as you floundered around looking for some predator that stood beside you. You son of a... I pulled out my knife and held it ready. He paused, then smiled. Do you think that knife can hurt me? I looked at it. Pretty sure, I said. It's made of iron. His smile vanished. Do you know what I am? I pulled out a bottle of brown water. I made sure to grab some runoff from the rainstorm, I said. It might not do as good as rust water, but let's find out. I opened the bottle and threw some water at him. He dodged it as though it was acid. At the same time, I swung with the knife. He escaped it with ease. Why won't you show me your true form? Because then... You would know what I truly am, and I'm sure you'd love to take advantage of vulnerable moments. He swung and connected with my stomach, knocking the wind out of me. I recovered and swung the knife in a vicious downswing at him, which he easily dodged. I kept moving forward, stabbing and slashing at him, not giving them any chance to think or rest. I couldn't get close enough to connect. He was somehow way too fast. If I hadn't been injured, I probably would have been able to close the distance between me and this thing. This thing is something I've only read about in lore before, but never thought was actually real. Unfortunately, I forgot about my injured ankle in the heat of the moment. I stepped forward on my good leg and faltered when I tried to put weight on the injured one. Instead of burying the knife in his heart, it went right through his left thigh. He screamed in pain and ran out of the cave. I took out my flashlight and started toward the back of the cave. There, I found a mutilated body next to a pile of bones. There was a note in her hand. I sat down, took it, and read. I can't believe how stupid I was not to see this much sooner. All the time guiding us was just a ploy. He never wanted to help us. He never cared about any of us or our safety. I need to write this quickly before he comes back. The ranger led us here and told us to wait here and that we'd be safe in the cave. He left us alone. Dean pulled out his flashlight and explored more profound areas into the cave. He found a large pile of bones. Off to the side of them was a pile of clothes. 
we ran toward the opening, but the ranger had already returned. Still, you didn't listen, he said, leering at us. Don't you stay here? Nice long home. What are you? I said. He smiled for the first time since I'd met him, but his smile wasn't comforting. It was terrifying. I watched in horror as he changed into a giant cat-like creature. It didn't look quite like a panther or a mountain lion. He lunged at us with incredible speed. He grabbed my leg and tore a large gash into it. I fell into the floor, screaming. Dean tried to defend me, swinging his knife around and holding it at bay, but it stalked around him and cornered him. He only had one chance. He looked at me with sadness and then ran past the creature and out of the cave. It looked at me and then my leg, then sprinted out after Dean. I know why he did it. He was trying to give me time to escape, but with my leg, there was no way. I couldn't outrun anything. What he did do was give me the time to say goodbye. If you're reading this, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I led you to your death. If you somehow survive and make it out of here, please tell our families what happened. Goodbye. I fought back the tears as I read the final words of this brave girl. I limped out to the front of the cave and looked out as the rain stopped. It was like seeing a new world being born. I tried my radio and got an immediate answer. I gave them my GPS coordinates and told them to prepare for casualties. I'm still a park ranger even months later. I made sure that the trail was sealed off. I carry an iron knife and rust water with me at all times. I have the rust water and a squirt gun just in case. The bones were removed from the cave and subjected to DNA testing. Aside from this group of victims, including Devin, several others had gone missing in the park over the years. The official version of the events was that a rogue animal had been hunting people. I was told it was best for my career if I didn't reveal the true nature of the predator. I still search for the creature and post signs everywhere to look for an older ranger wearing a uniform with no patches. There's a number to call if anyone spots him. It's my cell phone number. Occasionally, I hear reports of a large cap limping on its hind leg. I try to make my way to that spot as quickly as possible, but I have yet to catch him. I posted this story in memory of that brave girl, but also as a warning. Never go on an unposted trail and beware of those you meet in the woods, even if they wear a uniform. They may just turn out to be something we can't comprehend. A creature, hidden and lost from history. Humanoid Encounter by... Denny Young It was a very gloomy day. I had just woken up at around 1.30pm from a long night of girls and alcohol. I felt like a sick zombie, head thumping with a side of cotton mouth mixed with a stench of cigarette smoke. After a nice long hot bath, I felt better. I went to check out the house, and it was all clear. Everyone sounded like they were still asleep, and nothing was missing. It was now 2.45pm and everyone slowly woke up with the same nasty symptoms. I told everyone to shower, help clean what was left, and get ready for another night of fun. We left sometime around 6pm. We went to the local bar, but after an hour, my buddies and I were all kicked out because one of my friends decided to pick a fight with the security guard. We all decided to get some fast food and go home for the night. We got home at about 8.30pm after deciding to eat at a nice local mom and pop restaurant. One of my good friends pulled out a box of cigars to celebrate the small reunion we had that would be ending the next day. We stood around talking about our childhood. From the background of all the talk, I heard a few low-pitched smacking sounds a few feet away from the bushes in front of us. 
I looked but didn't see anything at first. The noise was still there, but it was silenced by my buddy's laughs and jokes. I walked forward and told them to be quiet, and I was listening very closely. The night was dead silent but echoed a smacking noise like someone was smacking a banana leaf on a tree trunk or something. The backyard was vast and endless, surrounded by a giant silhouette of trees and bushes. A shiver ran down my spine so I quickly ran upstairs and grabbed my AR-15. I ran downstairs but everyone was inside looking into the backyard through the glass sliding doors. I asked what had happened and they said that a tall black figure was running through the trees. I looked at him but shrugged it off. I went outside with my rifle and I saw and heard nothing. Things then began to quiet down while some others went upstairs to knock out for the night. I sat on the couch and returned my focus to the movie I was watching. After just a couple of minutes I hear a tapping noise coming from behind. I slowly turned my head and noticed my flood lamps were on. Then a light source came from my house's right side. My other floodlight. I kicked my buddy and grabbed my rifle. We both approached opposite ends but saw nothing suspicious. We made our way through the house and locked all the doors and windows and were all clear. We went to the top balcony to smoke a cigarette before we called it a night. We stood there smoking our cigarettes and I noticed some movement from my friend. I looked over and noticed his gaze. I positioned myself for a better view and saw what caught his attention. It was a disgustingly slender, sort of creature. I don't really know how to explain it. It had its hands reaching just below its knees. My friend dropped to the floor and began hyperventilating. I never knew my heart could beat the way it was. We hurriedly got inside and just watched it from the safety behind the glass. I couldn't see any detailed features, but it was human-like. Bipedal with a head like ours, small dark eye sockets, and almost like a missing nose. It didn't speak, but mumbled and squealed like a baby rat. It kept its eyes on the house, twitching its eyes and head, looking for any sign of life. I was dead scared. I thought I knew what life was. Now I know some things have been hidden or forgotten throughout human history. I started to think about aliens, skimwalkers, and any other possibilities I had ever heard of. My focus went back on track when I noticed the thing put one leg down on the floor, and then the other. It stood shorter than a tree, but easily surpassed six feet tall. It looked like it took three long strides toward us and yelled a terrible sound that sounded like a train and a male bull mixed. It was running toward us. I screamed in terror and put my sights on the target. I pulled the trigger and hit it multiple times with every flash of my muzzle. I could see the creature getting closer and closer to us. I could see the rounds hit its skin and dust fly off into the night air. It was almost like this thing was bulletproof or something. I kept pulling the trigger until my bolt locked back. I dropped my magazine and was appalled that I didn't have another to replace it with. I was terrified. My bullets weren't seemingly hurting this thing and it seemed like it had some sort of armor-piercing screech to it because it started screaming this high-pitched noise. I had to cringe my teeth and hold my ears. I felt like I was about to pass out until it stopped. When I opened my eyes, this thing was mysteriously gone. I could see the bushes and tree limbs being pushed around along with snapping of twigs and old dried leaves as something ran deeper and deeper into the woods. Everyone was up and didn't believe our encounter. I have moved across the country long since and I still remember the noises to this day. Thanks for listening to these creepy and downright horrific cryptid encounters. 
If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit your encounter at swampdweller.net or the reddit r slash the dark or the reddit r slash the dark swamp. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. If you enjoyed tonight's episode, please be sure to slap that like button as it helps me out a ton. If you could leave a comment down below letting me know what story was your favorite, it would be very appreciative. If you could subscribe if you're new, that would be very helpful as it helps the swamp grow. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please be sure to give this a 5-star rating over there as it helps me grow on those platforms. If you're on the go and don't have YouTube Premium but still want to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere you find your favorite podcast online. If you made it all the way to the end of the video, I'd love to see you comment the code word flying DVD player to confuse everybody who didn't make it to the end and to also let me know how many of you actually do make it to the very, very end. I appreciate all of your support and I'll see you all soon with another creepy episode.